Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Basically, you can't have a hate crime against a group that Yale Law School, Harvard Law School, and the New York Times and NPR don't think is an oppressed minority. And I think that now it is very important to encourage Christians in Finland and everywhere that now it is the time to be open, not to be silent, to be open about your faith. In those kinds of services we have what are called praise teams. I've often wondered why there aren't lament teams. The Bible is not primarily what I would call an upward-looking book, but it's a forward-looking book. So it's, it's not a book that's so much concerned about the die and go to heaven piece, but it's more concerned. I mean, the thing it's fixated on is the resurrection and the renewal of all things. This is Pastor Michael and Lindsay Schmidt of Natoma, Kansas. And whenever we go on vacation, we always take along issues, etc., to help pass the interstate mile. Issues Etc. Talk radio for the vacationing Lutheran family. Lord Mangley, please. When you picture your pastor at work, you often picture him perhaps standing in the pulpit or standing at the altar, maybe sitting in his study at his desk or sitting with someone in his study, pastoral counseling of, of that nature. And how often do you picture him in the hospital room, in the home, in the nursing home, out on the street and visiting people? One of the things that Jesus commends on the last day is visiting the sick, visiting those who are in prison. And of course, a big part of a pastor's job is doing that visiting. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Friday afternoon, August the 11th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Dr. John Bambaro will join us to talk about pastoral visitation. Then we're going to do a continuation of our series on the battle for the Bible in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, talking with Dr. John Woolrobby about church and ministry and Dr. Timothy Maschke about the higher critical method. Both of them have written a chapter of their own in the book, Rediscovering the Issues Surrounding the 1974 Concordia Seminary Walkout. Dr. John Bambaro was a regular guest. He's director of theological education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and he's author of a column titled Pastoral Presence Makes All the Difference. John, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. It's always a privilege to be with you. Tell us about how you and your wife were first exposed to the Lutheran faith. You know, as I grew up, uh, Roman Catholic being baptized at Our Lady of Mount Carmel in New Jersey, really Christianity, my Catholic faith was more of an ethnic heritage rather than a vibrant living faith. And I kind of grew up that way until I really had a come to Jesus moment later in life in my early 20s, and then sojourned into the Presbyterian Church. My wife, on the other hand, grew up in northern Saskatchewan in Canada and was part of a Mennonite Brethren Church, and then her family migrated into the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. It was kind of a generic evangelical association of churches with Pentecostal leadings. 
Well, we found ourselves gravitating more toward a confessional Christianity after some years together. And I was doing doctoral studies, and we were living in Cambridge at the time. Uh, in fact, we had just moved there, and we went to the Presbyterian church that was in town. And after listening to about a 45-minute sermon, three hymns, and a prayer, we came out. My wife started crying as we were unlocking our bikes, and, and I said to her, what's wrong? And she said that there's no gospel for us. They, you know, I can't do this anymore. There's... It, the law is just too burdensome. I, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And I had told her, I, I felt like I was faking it for a long time too and that we were done. Well, the next several weeks, we blew off church and you know rode our bikes around the English countryside. But the summer before, I was on scholarship in New Haven, Connecticut. Melinda was working with a group in Philadelphia. It was the Evangelicals, which would later become Modern Reformation and White Horse Inn, whom many of your uh, auditors will know. And Melinda was rubbing shoulders with Lutherans for the first time. And uh, we went to a couple of different churches, an Anglican one and a Baptist one, and it, it definitely wasn't for us, not in terms of flavor, but the irreverence, the the lack of orderliness and such. So she said, what about the Lutherans? And so I picked up the phone book, and there were still phone books in those days. We page, and there was Resurrection Lutheran Church. And lo and behold, it was one block away, and we had never noticed it. So I went over there. It was Sunday morning, and I looked at the door, and it said the Evangelical Lutheran Church of England, and stepped inside. And there was one of the parish priests vesting, and happened to be Tom Winger, who is now the president of Concordia Seminary at Brock University at St. Catharines in Ontario. And I asked him, I said, uh, the sign on the door says Evangelical Lutheran Church. Like, How evangelical are you? And Tom, without even so much turning his head, just said to me, come and see. And I, I left, I was a bit miffed that he would say that. And then it occurred to me, that's exactly what St. Philip said to Nathaniel when he had found the Christ. And so we did. We went. It was a little strange, but it was very reverent and deeply satisfying. We heard God's word preached in truth. We heard parishioners being absolved of their sins in holy absolution. The sermon was Christological and insightful. And then God's people were fed holy communion. And we were standing as observers to these things. When we left, as we were going out the door, the pastor stopped and asked us, would we like to come to his house for a barbecue? And that was the first time that I had been invited to a pastor's home in that kind of fashion, along with Melinda. And so that was our sojourn. We went in and we came out and we said, not only have we heard from Jesus, but we felt like we saw Jesus in the pastoral ministry, and that would be our new home. What did the personal presence of the parish pastor tell you? Well, it told us that he cared, that he cared enough to call us at home, to visit us in the hospitals as we did. We had our second-born daughter, Marie, was born in Cambridge. Uh, he came to the house. He came to the hospital, and he called but he called to make arrangements for a visit. He stopped by after the birth and, and followed up as well. It told us that he took the role of being an under-shepherd of Christ seriously, that this was his vocation, his calling. Our pastor was personally present in ways that 
one would hope Jesus would be present, or at least would send an ambassador to be present in his stead, bringing his words and his compassion. And that's what we received from our pastor. The pastoral care in the Lutheran tradition, I've never experienced as a Roman Catholic and hard experience in the Presbyterian church. And, and mind you, there's going to be excellent priests and pastors in those traditions, but it seemed to be a staple of Lutheranism. We, as we began to encounter parishioners and then students came to Westfield House and were telling us about their own experiences and upbringing, it, it seemed quite normative. This was the onus of what it meant to be a pastor in a Lutheran tradition. And it evidenced an incarnational dimension that extended outside of the divine service. And what we experienced was that it spilled over into where we lived and worked. And it reminded us of the promises of Jesus that he would never leave us nor forsake us, that he would be with us always, even to the end of the world. And with a lot of overblown incarnational theology out there and labeling just about every ministry and incarnational ministry from the cappuccino ministry to the the lawn mowing ministry, everything's incarnational. But it seemed to me in Lutheranism, this was the one instituted by Jesus Christ himself to be truly incarnational. Pastors bring his incarnational presence into the lives of his people. What is biblical pastoral care? What does it look like? The best text to go for this, I think, is Harold Senkbile's wonderful book, The Care of Souls. Pastoral care in that book, he says, includes the work entrusted by God to the church to be exercised through its pastors and those who are under pastoral supervision, like deacons, deaconesses, elders, vicars, and that sort of thing. So in the Lutheran tradition, pastoral care is all about personally applying the benefits of Christ to those who desire them in faith and doing so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So in in our experience, the context in which we were accustomed to seeing this happen was the church and only the church. What we found, however, was that Lutheran pastors were equally comfortable in presiding at Holy Communion in our home, at the bedside, in the hospital, and as comfortable of doing so as if he were at the high altar at the church. In other words, visitation, being in the homes of the believers in person, was seen to be an important dynamic of the Lutheran priest's vocation. And it brought us a sense of comfort and divine presence such that we had never experienced before. In fact, Melinda and I would go on to say that when we were in a law-burdened Christian tradition, we had a faith that was killing us. And within Lutheranism, with its onus on the gospel and a proper distinction between the law and the gospel, we finally had a faith for which we would die. How is pastoral care, in that sense, connected to preaching and the administration of the sacraments? Well, this is what Jesus personally does for us. He is manifest in these things. Manifestation is a really important word here. We find St. John using it in his first epistle, talking about the incarnation itself, that which we have heard, that which we have seen, uh, that which we have handled with our hands concerning the word of life, and the word was made manifest. Jesus is manifest in the pure preaching of the gospel and the sacraments administered according to the gospel because only he can truly do the pure preaching and the pure administration. Jesus wants to be intimate with his people, and there's nothing more intimate than being present 
and being in your people. And that's what Christ does in and through heralding his word and the sacraments. And so Jesus is preaching to us and Jesus is performing his miracles, which we call holy baptism, holy absolution, and holy communion in our midst. Pastoral care is connected to those things because Jesus can be present in and through the office of holy ministry wherever his duly called and ordained and faithful men are doing exactly that, preaching and administering in his name, in his stead, and in his disposition. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. We're talking about pastoral visitation. On the other side of the break, he says that all of us need a shepherd. We'll find out what that means next. I like that we get to talk about these things and we hit it from a different angle, but because we love each other and because we have the same religious views, you know, church is the centerpiece of our lives. Worship is the centerpiece of our lives. Molly Hemingway speaking at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So when we are just going back and forth on politics, it's really not that important relative to the things that do matter. In all seriousness, if you do not have someone in your life that you both completely trust and regularly engage in arguments with, you're doing it wrong. You can watch and listen to journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway's Q&A and all of the presentations from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a contribution of $300 by Labor Day. We'll send you links to download a podcast or watch a video stream. Order today at issuesetc.org or by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Concordia Evangelical Lutheran Church in Wilmington, Delaware, our mission is to serve our community by sharing Christian hope. Jesus and all that he has done for us is the source of this hope. We take heart from Jesus' words. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you're ever in the greater Philadelphia area, visit us in Wilmington, Delaware. Or visit us online anytime at concordiade.com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. John Babar is our guest as we talk about pastoral visitation. He's Director of Theological Education for Eurasia. For the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Senate, he's author of a column titled Pastoral Presence Makes All the Difference. He's also a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. For more information on studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess, visit ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. 
John, you say that all of us need a shepherd. What do you mean by that? Well, the living God describes us as sheep in Holy Scripture. Sheep get lost, or followers are easily ensnared in danger, and, and they can never, ever find their way home. They have to be rescued. Jesus, I think, memorably articulates this as the first story of the three-part parable in, in Luke 15. And the shepherd has to search and find the lost sheep because it cannot and it will not find its way back, back to the safety of the shepherd's oversight and care. So the good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, has provided for us under shepherds, priestly pastors in the midst of our sheep lives. This is what I mean is that we haven't changed. In scripture, there has been no new kind of humanity that isn't a considered like a sheep that needs a shepherd to guide them in the way of truth. The under shepherds of our Lord Jesus Christ have, are armed with the Holy Scriptures. His word is truth, and this word leads us in paths of righteousness. So I see these under shepherds are most effective in their Christ-emulating vocation when they're personally present and personally involved in the lives of their parishioners doing the things that we describe, for instance, in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, we, uh, this, the psalmist writes, I shall not want. We're not going to be in a place of great need because the shepherd is with us. The good shepherd is with us. He does things like make us lie down in green pastures. That's evocative of his holy word. Leads us beside still waters and restores our souls. That's holy baptism. Your pastor will be constantly reminding of you uh, that you have been baptized. And the still waters are evocative of peace, that we have peace with God. It's the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples following the resurrection after his great victory. Peace be with you. Shalom. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And this is what a pastor will do by teaching us the right ways of the Lord that correspond with the law, the Ten Commandments, and the gospel, who we truly are as resurrection people. And that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and it, we're all moving in one direction. It, we're all heading toward the grave. The fact is, because if his personal presence we will fear no evil. There'll be no evil done to our souls. And it comes right out in the psalm itself. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is what pastoral presence is all about. And then it only intensifies in that the Lord prepares a table for us. That's holy communion in the presence of our enemies, sin, death, and the devil. Our heads are anointed with oil. Our cup, the Eucharistic cup, overflows for us. And goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our lives. You see, I think it's with these same things, it seems to me, the word and the sacraments that Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, charges his apostles, those who are his under shepherds to do, he says to them, and teach them, that is us, the baptized, teach them, my sheep, to observe all things that I have commanded you. And what has he commanded them? Well, to lead us in paths of righteousness, to have us lie down in green pastures of his word, to restore our soul and for our cup to overflow. So when I'm thinking about needing a, a shepherd, it's only the under shepherds of Jesus Christ that can bring us these things, the truth of God's holy word and where Christ is personally present for us. What should someone expect from a pastoral visit? Well, when you're 
pastor shows up, you should expect to have him engage you in prayer for him to be praying in the name of Jesus Christ. He will invoke the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because that's the God to whom we owe all allegiance because he is the one and only true and living God. You should expect to hear God's word, his promises and their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You could expect to be blessed, have the divine benediction placed upon you in your home. You should be expecting comfort in the name of Jesus because Jesus has sent his under shepherd into your house. So what you can expect is, is exactly that. Amidst all of these sacred acts, you should sense the loving compassion of Christ. The word compassion is two Latin words. It brought together means with suffering, that Christ will enter into your suffering, but also be present for your joys and your celebrations. And the pastor will be there not only sympathizing with you, but evidencing empathy. And that's what it means to have compassion. The pastor will bear these burdens with you, take them upon himself and help lead you to the one who can lift them off because his burden is light. So what can we expect? Compassion and love is what you should expect from a pastoral visit. Christ Jesus brings his word and his presence to where you are, and he does it through being personally present with your pastor. What circumstances can call for a visit from the pastor? Well, there are a lot of different reasons, and they could vary. And a pastor will come into people's homes, into hospitals, you had mentioned earlier, senior centers and such. And he may do so to help celebrate a birth or a birthday, to mourn with families upon death, to be with those who are dying and to bring them the comfort of God's promises and the assurance that we have in the resurrection, knowing that our sins have been atoned for by Jesus' blood on the Holy Cross. Sometimes a pastor will come to hang out and be part of what's happening, hold hands, laugh, commune, comfort, absolve, anoint, do a house blessing, and sit around your table and break bread and make memories with you and yours. So it's, it's not always going to be coming to do a particular sacred act in the particular specified in advance, but you would expect him to pray and talk about God's word on any occasion. And why? Because Jesus desires to be in your home and to provide you that kind of care so that you know that you are prayed for, that you are cared for, that you are known, that you're loved and you're valued within his kingdom. And we have certainly experienced that within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So every visit should be understood to be a privilege for a pastor, that they're welcome in and they come in in the name of Jesus, and that is their particular role. So they should leave their own burdens behind and not come and unload onto the parishioners, but they're there to help lift at that point and to point people to Jesus Christ and to the objectivity of our faith. And bring our hearts, our eyes, our mind, our focus onto the Word and the sacraments in Christ who is manifest for us. You write about a pastoral visit that you made where the way over, you were not in the proper frame of mind to do a pastoral visit. Tell us about that. Yeah, I had a really rough day, and uh, actually everything had gone wrong. I was uh, late for this visit. Not only that, Another thing had gone sideways. I had felt burdened. I think it was hot, irritable, the whole deal. 
but I was going to rendezvous with our deaconess, Doris Snashel. This was in San Diego. And we would meet together and we would enter into the home. And uh, as soon as we had met together right there on the sidewalk, the deaconess could see that I was not in the right frame of mind. And uh, she said, Pastor, let's pray before we go in. And we did. And in that moment, I realized this isn't about me. This is not why I'm here. And these people shouldn't feel what I'm feeling. Instead, what they should feel is the compassion, the love, and the presence of Jesus. And there it was. It was me taking off the vocations of what I may have been burdened with outside of being a a parish priest and taking upon myself the yoke of Jesus to walk in and to be a blessing, to bring his favor into that household. So, you know, before a pastor enters into any home, it was a lesson for me was to stop and to pray and to remember why I'm there and who I represent and whose words are important in this visit. And it's the words of Jesus. So to enter in armed with the word of God, be prepared to open it and also be prepared to touch, touch the sick, touch the dying, touch those and and hold hands in the midst of prayer and let them know that Christ is in fact present, showing that compassion and love that he desires to do. Post-pandemic, many have made the withdrawal from society a semi-permanent situation in their life. They now view their homes more as fortresses of solitude. How does a pastor overcome that in trying to reinstitute a healthy life of visitation among his people? I think it requires some persistence on our parts and to remind such parishioners that not everyone is infected and that that's not supposed to be our view of humanity and that Jesus's touch and Jesus's gifts bring healing and comfort. A person is not going to find the chalice and the Eucharistic host to be a source of contagion. Far from it. This is for our health and salvation. And that there is something more important than even safety, which we've made an idol out of this day. We cannot let things like virology neuter our sacred theology. Instead, we come with the courage and the fortitude that is evocative of Christ and that Luther himself emulated during the plagues of his own day because there is something greater, a greater need than safety, and that is forgiveness. That is atonement. That is regeneration. And dying in this holy faith is the greatest need of all. In this time of instant, and we need to say remote communication, why is the pastor's physical presence still necessary? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Good Shepherd is the one who came down from heaven to be for us, to be Emmanuel, God with us. His loving care and power forgiveness avails each and every day for our greatest need. And our greatest need is reconciliation so that we can live before him, reconciled by the blood of Jesus, live with each other now that we have the spirit of Christ within us and can show love to one another, the actual divine love of God being manifest between us and also so that we can live with ourselves, knowing that we're forgiven. Pastoral presence brings the healing and recreative word of Jesus, as well as his miracle sacraments into the here and now of our lives. 
That does not happen through ones and zeros of a digital virtuosity. The work of our Lord hasn't changed because his steadfast love abides forever. And until the general resurrection on the last day, humanity will ever be sheep in the need of the good shepherd and therefore his under shepherds who he sends out to touch us and to be present with us and to speak these words of comfort. And let us rejoice in the fact that this shepherd is good. John, you have also written two more segments of your a continuing conversation on the resurrection life in the resurrected Jesus. And you recently wrote, when Jesus rose from the grave with a transformed humanity, our fixed and regimented universe suddenly became open to new possibilities of knowing and existing. What do you mean by that? I mean that the world prior to the moment of resurrection always operated in a law-like fashion. It is once important man to die, and after this, the judgment. That's the way that the world worked. There were fixed laws there. It, it wasn't like there were resurrections prior to Jesus. Everything continued in that way. However, when the Son of God rose again from the dead, fully vindicated, because he is the world's rightful king and is perfect, and in addition to that, with a transformed human body, now to be glorified forever and ever, new possibilities broke into our reality, that the cycle of human life and death can and in fact will be broken. It has been broken by him. A new creation has dawned and we begin to participate in it even now. And it happens for us when our spirits are resurrected in the waters of holy baptism. And it will happen also on the last day when our bodies are resurrected and are like unto his. But in addition to that, having cleansed us by the purging of sin through his blood atonement, Jesus has made us fit to be indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And holy baptism has, within Scripture, and ever since that time, been referred to as an illumination, as an enlightening. In other words, we have a spiritual sensibility to the truth concerning God's holy word and the fact of Jesus which opens a new realm of epistemology. And by epistemology, I'm talking about how we know things. So two aspects I wanna just mention quite quickly there. One is that we can now view, engage, interpret, and understand reality through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the new paradigm right there. The second is that there is another epistemology out there another way of knowing other than rationalism, intuitionism, and empiricism. And that epistemology is an epistemology of love, that divine love has been put within us and that we can know God in a loving sense and we can know one another in a loving sense. One of the ways I like to just try to explain it to my students is like my mother's not present with me right now. She's in New Jersey. I'm in Prague in the Czech Republic. And I cannot empirically show you that my mother loves me. I have no tokens of her love. I have no mementos here. And I could give you a syllogism, but that doesn't seem to add up either. And I don't even know if the premises would be sound. But I know my mother loves me. There is a knowing there that is more deeply and authentically human that touches on every aspect of of what it means to be a sentient human being 
mind, will, and emotions uh, all bound together and interpenetrating. This kind of divine love is now in us so that we love because he first loved us. Hereby the world shall know that we know him if we love one another. So it's not just a, a commandment for, that Jesus gives us. It's a commandment that's a result of the gospel realities of the death and resurrection of Christ. So that's what I mean, that there are new ways of, of knowing and being. We are resurrection people, and we have the spirit of Christ within us, a spirit that is also comes with divine love. And finally, with a minute, you have also written about the sacramental presence. You say with the resurrection and ascension of Christ, a new way for God to be eminently present dawned the sacramental presence. Explain that with about a minute. Yeah, so we talk a lot about transcendence. And, you know, God is transcendent. He is infinitely above us. But what's important to us also is knowing that he is imminently present. And how is God imminently present with us, abidingly so now? Well, it's just exactly where he's promised to be. There's no mystery. You don't have to go to Tibet and to the Himalayas and assume the lotus position and chant a mantra in order to try to ascend to God and find him. He's made himself predictably present and reliably and enduringly present in an imminent way in the sacraments. In the article I was saying, the resurrection opens that new possibility. The sacraments are called mysterion in scripture, to mysterion, taken into Latin, it's sacramentum. But what we're talking about is something really mysterious here. And what I'm getting at is the mystery of the resurrection, how Christ is the future of humanity right now with the resurrection body. Paul can't fully describe it. St. John has a difficult time finding a way to articulate it. But the one thing that we know is that Christ is imminently present in self-giving the one person with two natures, Jesus of Nazareth, true son of God, true son of Mary, precisely where he said he would be present, namely in the pure preaching of the gospel and the sacraments administered according to the gospel. There Christ is giving himself to us in this imminent fashion, in the here and now, in our spatio-temporality, doing the thing that he desires most, and that is to be intimate with his people. And there's no greater form of intimacy than to be in someone. That's what happens in holy baptism when he enters us. That's what happens in holy absolution where his holy word enters into us and that the power of forgiveness takes effect. That's what happens when we see, receive his true body and blood, when we commune on the flesh of Jesus in the Eucharist. Christ imminently present, and this all made possible because of the resurrection. Dr. John Bambaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of a column titled, Pastoral Present Makes All the Difference. You can read it and his series, Resurrection Life for Resurrection People, at issuesetc.org, click Talk On Demand Archives. John, thank you very much. Keep up the great work, Todd. On the other side, Dr. John Woolrobbie joins us. It'll be part six of our series on the Lutheran battle for the Bible. We'll discuss church and ministry.
This fallen creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ to altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. Where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. When you hear the word heresy, what do you think of? Do you think of some ancient debate the church has gotten over and forgotten? Do you think of some stubby old theologians just arguing over things that don't matter? There's a lot more to heresies than you might think. And that's what the August issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about. Heresies, ancient and modern. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number 4, C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number 4, C.